This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Best shout. Matthew chapter 9, if you'll stay standing, it'll come on the screen. You can follow along in your Bible. I'm going to do the New Living Translation. That's what will be on the screen as well. <clears throat> Let me get there. I was in the Spanish Bible. Come on, somebody. Hey-ho. <laughs> if I read it, I'd probably be done by March, end of March. Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9 verse 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. <laughs> you got to love it when Jesus just drops a bomb on you. Uh, then he added, no, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Well, that was the seven people in here that knew they were a sinner. You're in good company. Welcome. <laughs> One day, the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, Why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins where the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. As Jesus was saying this, the leader of the synagogue came and knelt before him. My daughter has just died, he said, but you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay your hand on her. So Jesus and his disciples got up and went with him. Just then, a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe, for she thought, If I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus arrived at the official's home, he saw the noisy crowd, and he heard the funeral music. Get out, he told them. This girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him. And after the crowd was put outside, however, Jesus went in and took the girl by the hand and she stood up. The report of this miracle swept through the entire countryside. After Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men followed along behind him shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. And they went right into the house where he was staying and Jesus asked them, Do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him, we do. And he touched their eyes and said, because of your faith, it will happen. And then their eyes were opened and they could see. Jesus sternly warned them, don't tell anybody about this. But instead, they went out and spread his fame all over the region. And when they left, a demon-possessed man who couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. So Jesus cast out a demon. And then the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. Nothing like this has ever happened in Israel they exclaimed. But the Pharisees said, he can cast out demons because he's empowered by the prince of demons. But Jesus traveled throughout all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the field. 
Amen. Father, thank you for the reading of the Bible today. May what we want to get out of it be what you want for us, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And you shout amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here. If you're new with us, we're in our eighth week of Jesus Said What? We're taking the words of Jesus, uh, moving them 2,000 years to the future from when he said them to today and trying to make sense out of them and what they mean to us. So let's jump in. Here's our thought. What you think about Jesus, this is the slide we have every week. What you think about Jesus, who he is and what he says matters greatly. And then the second sentence is always what we'll talk about today. And how you spend your years here matters greatly to him. Come on. What you do with your life here on planet earth, God cares about. Whatever job you have, whatever sports you have, whatever talents you have, gifts you have, it matters greatly to Jesus. And maybe here's why. Scripture, Psalm 34. It's a pretty telling scripture. Put it up there. There it is. Lord, maybe we all need reminded. Remind me of how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and how fleeting my life is. It doesn't feel good to, you know, read that verse. It's almost just depressing. How fast life goes by. I ate lunch with my mom and dad every week because he pays for it. Mm, come on, somebody. <laughs> He's just a giver. He always says, where do you want to go? I'm like, Longhorn, you're paying. But typical in our conversations, he will often say he's 85. My mom's got a birthday in a few weeks. She'll be 83 or 82. 83. And here's what they say. Life sure does go by fast now. Seems like, this is my dad. He doesn't talk a lot, but when he does, it's deep. Seems like yesterday is just Christmas. That's how fast it goes. About the time you blink your eye, another year's gone by. When you're 85, you realize this is more telling than we want to admit when we're 15. When I'm in my teens, I got a lot of time. I take some challenges. I do some risk. I drive over the speed limit. I waste some years. I, I waste some, you know, thoughts and energies. And, but then this thought that everybody in this room right now has a day where it all ends. And the Bible says that day is numbered and God knows it. God knows the day you will breathe your last here on planet earth and you will go into the eternal realm and we'll put you to rest here. We call it your funeral and we move on with life and we hang pictures up and talk about your life. But even if you live to be a hundred or even if you make it to 85, you will have this testimony, life sure did go by quickly. It flies by. And the psalmist says, God, I need you to remind me how brief it is. In the story we read, let's look at the passage in Matthew 9, because I think maybe it brings a little light to what Jesus is saying. In the story, what we get is Jesus is being pulled on from every realm. Jesus is... In one minute, he's got a guy saying, my kid's dying. Another minute, he's got somebody coming with a demon. Another minute, it's blind people. Another minute, it's a woman grabbing him. Another minute, it's religious people who are ticked off at him, calling him the devil. And in this entire passage, it's Jesus heals, Jesus delivers, Jesus raises the dead, Jesus gets rebuked, Jesus rebukes other people. The Bible doesn't tell us in Matthew 9 how long it is. I'm going to say about a week, about seven days. Jesus comes to the end of his week. He checks the boxes. I healed a blind person. I healed sick people. I cast out demons out of people. I raised up a dead person. Check, check, check. Two blind guys, check. I mean, if he's checking boxes, he's had a pretty successful week. If he's checking boxes, it's probably a good sign he may be God. I mean, he's raising dead people. He's got to be God. I mean, he's healing blind people. Got to be God. I mean, he's got to be something special about him. Except the religious people are like, no, he's not special. He's of the devil himself, and we can't stand him. So at least we could say this about Jesus. It's been a very, very productive week. And yet at the end of his productive week, 
He doesn't check the boxes off and go, hey, you think I did a good job? He comes to the end of his week and maybe this passage uh, verse is given to us to show us the humanity side of this person called Jesus. That not only is he God, not only can he raise the dead, not only can he heal the blind, but he's got this human side because the end of his week, I can only imagine him not touting how awesome of a week he was, but coming to this thought, I just need help. I need somebody that will help me. Maybe he understands my life is coming to an end. I mean, it is kind of weird. He starts his ministry. He's got three years of his life to do ministry. He knows he's going to die and he's not going to live to be 85. He knows that it probably somewhere in the next year or two his life is going to be over. He's 30 years old and he realizes by the time I'm 33, my life will be over. I have three years of my life and rather than checking boxes, rather than checking that I've done a good thing this week, he comes to this thought as God, he's God but he's a human, of I just got to have somebody to help me. There's something about knowing the end of your life that makes you rethink life. A few you know, months back, my wife Robin, about a year and a half ago it started, was diagnosed with cancer. She went through mastectomies and three surgeries and chemotherapy, lost her hair, grew her hair back. And for a year and a half, we go on this journey and we were on a date the other week and we were sitting across a table from each other. And she said, you know what? She said, when you've had a bout with I might die, it causes you to rethink life. It causes you to ask, what, am I doing what I need to be doing? It causes you to ask, it, is my life energies being spent where they need to be spent? You realize that this may be the last year you're a mother because they've given you a sentence of cancer. The last year I will be a wife. Will I be here to accomplish my dreams? Will I be here to be the mother my kids need me to be? Will I be here to be a wife? Will I be here to accomplish the things God has called me to accomplish? And she wrestles with humanity meeting up with the brevity of life. So there's something about this verse that maybe makes me think Jesus is not just sitting here looking at all of his accolades and the things he's accomplished, but how brief his life is going to be. He will get 33 years of his life on planet Earth, and here we're at about year 31, 32. He's got about one year of his life left. And with one year of his life left, he says, Dude, what I really need is I just need some folks that are willing to help me. I need some people to get on my team who will be willing to work for me. There's a huge harvest out there. I don't know if he's frustrated. I don't know if he's trying to be a good leader and think to the future. But if I ask you this today, what would change in your life if you only had a year left? How would you treat your spouse if you only had one year left to live? How would you treat your parents if you knew your father was going to die in a year? How would you treat your mother if in one year you would never speak to her again because her life, her brevity of life would end? It changes the way we think about things. It changes where we give our energy. It changes uh, if you have one year left. If you got one year, 365 days left to live, is it worth it to stay bitter? Is it worth it to be ticked off at the person that's bothered you? Are you going to give your last year of life being ticked off? Are you going to give the last year of your life being mad at people? My ex did this to me. My boss did that to me. Is your life worth that? That the energy we give. But see, it's easy to give all the energy out when we just have this unlimited, I'm going to be here for a long time. But what would change if we didn't have a long time? What friend would you reconcile with? What person would you call on the phone? What would you say? About five years, well, it was longer than five. It's been about 10 years ago. My dad hit 70-ish. and when, So that's 15 years. Whew, that's how fast it goes. He turned 70, and I was a son, and I thought, you know what? I don't ever want a day to go by that I don't talk to my dad. I don't want to lay him to rest one day and go, man, I wish I would have called him. I wish I would have said goodbye, hello, how are you doing? And I guess about 15 years ago, 
Every single day of my life, I have called my mother and dad just to say hello, just to tell them I love them, so that whenever their brief life ends on earth, if Jesus doesn't come back, and we say goodbye to Gene and June, I won't be sitting there with regrets because I wasted my life on other things and forgot about what really mattered. Maybe that's what Jesus is doing. Maybe he's not in the moment thinking about the dead kid that was raised. Maybe he's in the future thinking if somebody doesn't help me here, they're going to lay me to rest and I need some people to work. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about what are you going to do with the years God has given you on planet earth and how they relate to your life in Christ. Let's look at this thought. We often waste the years we've been given because we give our best years to the wrong boss. Our best years are given to the wrong boss. Here's what I mean by that. The thing that controls your emotions, your time, your energy, your location, your choices, and your money is who your boss is. The thing that, I'll say it again, the thing that controls your time sucks your energy, your money, your emotions, your location, and your choices. Whether we like it or not, that is the boss of your life. It's the things that pull on you, the things that demand something out of you, the things that require your time. So I put on the left column the boss. And by that, I mean the things in Mark's life. I went through my life. The things in my life that pull on me, that need my time in a 24-hour day. The first is my sweet wife, Robin. If you've ever been married, just try to ignore your spouse and watch how quickly they'll say, I need some time from you. I need some energy. You're always tired when you come home. I need some money for the kids. I need a new couch. I need a new, I need emotions. You don't pay attention. Why don't you talk to me? Why don't you live? Just married life in, in itself pulls on our emotions, pulls on our energy. And you would think that when a husband and a wife get together and we got to learn to communicate, learn to spend money, we got to work, we got to, you know, have sex, you know, occasionally, hallelujah, come on somebody, and all the things, that what dummy, what dummy thinks? Let's add a kid. Let's add one more thing that pulls on our time. One more thing that needs us in the middle of the day when we don't want to be needed. One more thing, knocking on the door as soon as we kiss each other. You want to know how weird it is. Get married, have a kid, sneak off the bedroom, just kiss her on the forehead. As soon as your lips touch her forehead, you'll hear, What are y'all doing? Oh, not only, you'd think we'd be smart enough. No, we don't have one, we have two. Because we feel like we need one more person pulling on our energy, pulling on our time, telling us what to do where to go. Not only that, how dumb we are, we had four of those. Four of them. Not only were me and Robin like, oh, more time with you, let's date, let's go to the movies, let's cuddle on the couch, let's watch some TV together. It's like, hey, what would be better than to add four other human beings? Put them in here with us so that they're all demanding. I remember when Robin, we had our first girl and she's brand new mom, she's nursing and, and her exact words, I came home one day, she's crying. I'm like, what are you crying about? I'm working hard. You're home with the kid. That ought to be awesome. Her exact words were, all I feel like is a cow. <laughs> I just feel like I'm a cow. I just see her all day. Just feed the baby. Just feel like I'm a cow. And then she wants to have another one. I'm like, well, wait, why would you have two? You felt like a cow with the first one. Why? She had four. 18 years of her life, she feels like a cow. I'm like, what in God's name are we doing? Show you how dumb humans are. After we have four kids and a spouse and our time's getting eat up, you got to go to cheer, you got to go to clog, you got to go to dance, you got to go to baton, you got to go to dance again, you got to go to tennis, you got to go to track, you got to go to soccer, you got to go to softball. That's just children. Let's get a dog. <laughs> what we need is a dog. We need one more thing to pull on our time that we have to put a leash on and walk down. And then, because we're dumb and live in a subdivision, we have to take a bag and pick up the doo-doo. Let's do that. Let, let's get an animal 
that after we've changed the diapers on the children, let's get a dog and walk them down the road with a baggie in our hand and pick up their poop. Yeah, let's don't just get a dog. Let's get a hamster, a gerbil, a guinea pig, a turtle, a lizard. Your friend's got a snake. We rebuke that. We're not getting a parakeets and then so now you got the wife as soon as you get home you got the children needing something you got the dog running through your legs you're home you're home been waiting on you all day let's play ball let's play ball throw that stick throw the stick let's go take me for a walk and then the wife's like, you're home, laundry needs folded. You're home, dishwasher's broken. You're home. Kids are like, I don't want to do my homework. It's like, ah. And then it's like, you know what I need? I need a 50-hour-a-week job. I need something to pay me $15 an hour for the next 60 years of my life. Somebody to tell me when to get up, when to get there, when I can go. Oh, that's what I need. I'll be good then. Get that money coming in. But then not only that, you find out to get the job, you got to get educated. Now you got to go to school, you got to get their certificates. But then after all of that, we're dumb. We have to have friends. I need somebody demanding when I text them back. I can't believe I what what's wrong, honey? I snapped them and they've just left me open. Left me open. That's all they've done, just left me open, just sitting there. What are you staring at? Waiting on them to snap me back. Like you needed that? You needed to, how do, who's going to text me? When are they going to text me? Called them four times, won't even answer their phone. Well, after friends, you know what I think I need? I need to golf. I need to take up a sport. I need to run. I need to go to the gym. I, I tell you, that's what I'm, and then after the sport, I need a hobby. I think I'll go fishing. I think what I'll do with my spare time is get in the boat and go fish. No, I'm going to go sit in a deer stand for nine extra hours. No, you know what I'm doing? I'm going to go hiking. I'm going to pick up hiking. I think I'm going to start. No, I'm going to run a 10K this year. I'm going to do a marathon. This is what. No, you know what? I'm going to get up every day. I'm going to go to One Life Fitness. And so by the time we get to the end, by the time we get to the passion, the reason you really want to be alive on the planet, to write the books, to accomplish things, to start up, we just don't have time. We're burning the candle on every end just to keep everybody happy, to keep the banker paid so the house, to keep the bills coming in so the cheer can continue, to keep paying all the things so they can get in baseball and basketball and football and soccer and I can pay the boat payment and the motorcycle payment, the deer hunting payment and I can pay for, you know, I got to go walk at Sweetwater so I need to make that payment and then Netflix payment and well the Hulu payment because we need and then my life is just spent and yet as I'm wearing myself out there's the looming Life sure goes by quickly. And you're wearing yourself out, spending your years, giving your energy to the wrong boss. So here was my thought. He said to Peter, this is the same thing to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. I put it in blue this time. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. So it's not that anybody in the room gets any more hours to your day. We've all said it. I just wish I had a little more time. You don't get it. I don't get it. You don't get it. So in your 24 hours, you've got to fit in a spouse, children, work, hobbies, sports, job, passions. You've got to fit all that in in 24 hours. And the reasoning of why it seemingly works, maybe the reason Jesus said, I need help, is because we just got to ask the question, and here's the question that needs to be asked, I think. If you take my week, so this is pretty much Mark. I give, I give all of us in the room the same amount of time. Here's, what I, here's how I calculated it. I figure you get up at 6, you get your day going. Some of you get up at 2, some of you get up at 1. But... 
you get up, you get the day going, you go to work, you come home at 6, about a 12-hour day. By the time you get up, get kids ready or get your life going, you get to work, you work, you drive back home, you sit down for dinner. It's about 6 o'clock again. So 12 hours of your life has been running in the system of your life. Then you come home, and when you get home, you got the dogs and the laundry and the kids and the homework and the Netflix and the sit back and then the hobbies and then what I wish I had time to do, clean the gun, uh, you know, sight in my bow, whatever the things you're going to do. I gave us all about 14 hours, and that's generous. Because if you're raising kids, you typically get up at 6, at 6 is dinner, and then you start with homework, and then homework is finished. Then you tuck them in, and you pray and read their prayers and Bible stories. And then it's about 9.30, and then you're wore out, and laundry's like, hey, hey. So really, I was fair to say 98 hours, the boss is calling. Probably in theory, it's more like 115 and then if we all just slept eight hours a day, which most of us don't because we're too busy. We don't, you got to be kidding, eight hours? I don't have time. I don't go to bed till one. i got to get up at six. If we just add 98 hours of the boss demanding my time, my attention, life in general, you're, you're burning about 154 hours a week out of a 168-hour week. You have a few leftover hours, probably an hour to an hour and a half a day is leftovers. Now in that leftovers, I didn't even include God. I didn't include, are you praying an hour a day? I'll never forget that sermon when I was in college. He stood up and said, the Lord said, could you not tarry an hour? Could you not pray with me an hour? And he quoted the scripture out of Matthew. And I'm listening to him going, he has no clue. I can't pray an hour. I don't have an hour. But I felt so guilty. I felt so guilty that I couldn't find an hour. So then I tried to figure out what am I going to do. i, I got to add God into this. When am I going to do my devotions? Well, when will I read the Psalm, the Proverb, the Old and the New Testament? And I, when will I have time for Jesus? Because if I really love Jesus, I need to make time for Jesus. I mean, if you love Jesus, you better figure this thing out here. You better figure out how to squeeze him into this thing. But here's the typical issue. Let's look at the next one. I'll show you the issue. Would you be willing to rethink your time on planet Earth, which we've all been given the same amount, by seeing yourself as employed by Jesus? In other words, seeing it from a different perspective than the world being your boss is that Jesus is your boss. Let me see if I can explain what I mean. Let's look at the rethink. The typical rethink is this. It's not subtracting one thing to add another. So as a preacher, I could preach and guilt trip you into, I can't believe you don't read your Bible. I can't believe you're not praying an hour a day. I can't believe you don't come to Sunday church. And we would start eliminating things. I, yeah, I could get rid of the sport. I could, I could drop the hobby. I could, I could not fish as much. I could quit hunting. I could... I could probably just come home. i tell you what, I could get up an extra hour early and give God that hour because I'm so busy during my day. And the typical religious mentality is you got to subtract something out of your life to prove to Jesus how much you love him. Every single year we do it. You know what I'm doing? What are you going to do this year to prove you love Jesus? I'm going to give up Netflix for 21 days. I'm, I'm getting Netflix. I'm going to have a Daniel fast of Netflix. No Netflix, just so Jesus knows I love him. I, what are you going to give up? You know what? I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give up. We're in Lent right now. Put the ash on your head. Give up something. Because the reality of God in religion is you're so busy. If you really want to prove to God you love him, you need to give something up to show him how much you love him. And then I as a preacher get to make you feel guilty about what it is that needs to go and you need to get rid of it and make more time for God because if you're not making time for God, you're losing. But what if we rethink it, and this is the rethink. Instead of subtracting something, here's the next thought. What if the rethink is not subtracting but it's including Jesus in everything? Jesus plus sports plus your hobbies, it's your life. Rather than giving up stuff because you feel guilty 
that you're not religious enough to prove to God that you love Him, what if you stop trying to give everything up and you just put Him in everything you do? I'll tell you why that doesn't work in the Christian world. Here's why. This is the issue that we have as church people. The word, this is my opinion, you don't have to agree, but it's just my opinion. The worst thing modern church has accomplished, question mark, is that we keep you busy about the building and the programs and then guilt trip you into it. All right, watch. I'll just show you how it works. I'm including me into it. The boss is calling, the wife, the children, the job, the hobbies, the sports, oh gosh, everything, the chores, the laundry, the pet, the school, everything's fishing, everything's fishing. But because you're religious, because you love Jesus, not only is the boss fishing, but God is going, dude, can't believe you can't even get out of bed and go to church, you got to be kidding me. You go sit out on a deer stand, but you can't even come to church. Now, watch how fun preachers are. We know you're busy. We know you're swamped. We know you have children in sports. But then we say, look, all we're asking is every Sunday for an hour, come to the building. And listen to me tell you about God. And then you do, and you go, well, that was good. Well, that's just the front door. What I need now, I need you to get on a team and serve. Because those of you that really love the Lord, you should serve His house. Okay, yeah, i gotta, gotta, got to serve. I, now, now, how do you serve? You, you scan this. And you sign up for one more thing on the boss list. And then all we need, so, so you know how nice we are, we just need you to do it once a month. All right, okay. All right, honey, I signed up. What would you sign up for? To be a greeter. Oh, God, I hate people. <laughs> what does that mean? Oh, I signed up for the first, the first service. We got to get up and be there. Honey, why didn't you sign up for the second service? Because we had to be at your mother's for lunch, so you can thank me for that. All right. And then I get here and I sign up. And now, I, now I'm coming to church. I've given a little bit of God. Here's my real me, but here's the God me. Every Sunday I'm coming. I'm listening to that half bald headed guy say things. I don't even know what he's saying, but he's funny. And I keep going. And then I, I once a month I open a door so God will know I'm faithful to his house. And then, look. You really want to be tight with us here? You need to get in a group. And hey, real simple. We just need you to scan this and add one more thing to your boss list. Because if you love Jesus, you'll get in a group. Because there's really no way to grow except get in a group. Okay, all right, let's see. Okay, honey, we got to get in a group. Preacher says if we're, you know, we love Jesus. Preacher said, if we love Jesus, we got to get in a group. What group you want? Oh, God, let's see. All right, the Tuesday group. Let's do it because it's got child care and we can get rid of the kids. All right, Tuesday. Okay, Tuesday. All right, I got the Tuesday group. And then I keep coming. So now I've got my boss list. I've got my God list. Now I come every week. Maybe not every week because my boss list is calling. But once a month, I'm opening a door. And now every Tuesday, I'm in a group. But, but, to, but to really grow with God. You got to be here every Wednesday. Because every Wednesday, if you'll just scan this card, you, you can see the Genesis group we got going on. And you can get in that group. We're only here for an hour. One hour. We get you in, we get you out, we give you child care right here. And then you go home and it's like, honey, what are we doing? Where's dinner? I didn't have time to make dinner. Why? I didn't have time to get ready. Why? Well, we had that dabbling group on Tuesday. Well, it's Wednesday. I know, but I told preacher we're going to the Genesis. My God, we got to go to Genesis. We're going to Genesis. We're going to, and then you come. So now you're serving at the door. Now you're in a Tuesday group. Now you're in a Wednesday class. And then you really love the Lord. You just scan this card. Every Thursday, you can feed hungry people. And you can come here every Thursday at 10 o'clock and help feed the hungry. Well, my God, who wouldn't want to feed the hungry? Even Jesus said, just a cup of cold water. Dear God, I don't want preachers to think we don't care about hungry people. Well, what are you doing? 
I signed us up. You signed us up? Yeah, who wouldn't? Who would not do that? Okay, okay. Then, hey, this weekend on Friday, got a worship night. Scan this, let us know you're coming. We just need you to be here because anybody, I mean, come on, it's a hellacious world. You want to bombard the darkness. You need to be here on Friday night for the worship night and be part of the worship night. Got to be part of worship. Well, honey, the kid has football. Well, we're going to worship. We'll go to football later. So I'd already told the preacher, I don't, want, I don't want God thinking I love football more than I love God. So now, because you love God, you've got the boss, life is pulling, and you've got the church that keeps you coming every night of the week to feel godly. And now you're burning the candle at both ends. You have a Monday night, a Tuesday night, a Wednesday night, a Thursday night, a Friday night, a Saturday day. Because I forgot to tell you, on Saturday, we put on our t-shirts that say, Believer's Church Serve. We go down to Atlanta and we serve people once a month. And everybody in here needs to put on a shirt so the community knows we love them and go serve with us. Oh, God, month, Saturday was when I mowed the grass. Now I got to go to Atlanta and feed hungry people. I'm hungry. I'm hungry myself. I wish they'd come. Why don't they put on t-shirts and come mow my grass? And that is modern church. We keep you so busy doing religious stuff to ease your guilty conscience that we've taught you that life is the real you, the football, the cheer, the hunting, the fishing, and all of that pales in comparison to how much you love God. And so you either eliminate or you spend your whole religious life juggling. Well, honey, we haven't been in three weeks. Preacher's going to think we're going somewhere else. We better go. Oh, I forgot to tell you. If you want to lead, you got to give me some money and come every week. And then you can be a leader. I pose to you, we've done it backwards. And it's why now we have our God life, which is Sunday for an hour if I have time, and then my real life where it's all going down. And I would like to throw this thought to you today. This is what I believe. I wrestled with this years ago when I started our church in Sylvania, Georgia, because what I started was exactly what I taught. We keep you so busy on the corner that you don't even have time for life. And if you do have time for life, you're a subpar Christian because you spend more time going to a football game than you do in church. And that was me 25 years ago. And I had to change and say, God, what do you called us to do? I did not call it 50 feet at this time. But I realized my goal wasn't to pack your life on the corner. My goal was to charge your life up on the corner so you could go live life. Not bring you back every night to feel religious, but get you off the corner to go do what God's called you to do. And so it's owning your 50 feet. It means every moment, every event, every meeting, every hobby, every job, every 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 sport, every aspect of your life is an opportunity to meet Jesus. I'm not asking you to quit doing the things you're doing. I'm just asking you, is Jesus part of everything you do? Look at this scripture. This is Matthew 9 where we read. It was the starting point. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. And later, we don't know, that day, that next week, we don't know. But later in his life, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and disreputable sinners. Matthew, in some weird way, has learned how to work for Jesus. I think my opinion is we religious people have made it super hard. Because look how easy this is. He's a tax collector who is scum. 
He works with other tax collectors who are scum. His friendship structure are some shady people. And he has an idea. I've met Jesus over here, giving him some of my time. I've met tax collectors over here because that's my job. Now, typical modern Christianity is tax collectors drop some F-bombs. Ha ha, you're a bunch of scum. Go get a beer together. And then on the weekend, come over here and check your box with Jesus. Go, hey, still part of you, buddy. Still part of you, buddy. Thanks. Bless me. Fix me. Help me. Heal me. Bye. See you next Sunday. Back over here having a beer with the bros. Not Matthew. Matthew's over here with the scum, the disreputable sinners. He's got Jesus over here, but instead of dichotomizing him, he goes, hey, since I'm the common denominator between disreputable sinners and scum, and I know the light of life, why don't I just open my home and just kind of hook them all up? I'll just bring the scum into my living room and at the same time kind of slide Jesus in with a little bit of barbecue and just hook them both up. So instead of being dichotomized between the religious me that would never say a cuss word, that would, that would take my hat off to pray for the spaghetti. But Monday through Saturday, I'm hanging out with hellions. I'm hanging out, they're dropping F-bombs and gd and telling all kind of sex jokes. And I'm like, <laughs> and then I, hey, hey, I'll see y'all Monday, bro. Be careful, man, bros before hoes, bros. See you later. <laughs> and then I come over here. Oh, God, okay. <laughs> oh, God. At least, thank God, we go to that preacher, Mark. He makes me laugh. I, you just fall. I don't ever know what he's saying, but he's just weird. I, He's funny. He's weird, but funny. Okay. All right. Hey, preacher, my back's hurt. You just asked Jesus to fix my back? Okay. Thank you. And then I'm back over with the bros. Not Matthew. Matthew learned before there was ever church, before there was ever a building, before there were ever elders and deacons, before there was ever small groups, before there was ever outreach ministries, before there were t-shirts, before there was mugs, pins, and bumper stickers. Matthew just decides, I think I'll just open my home. I would love to say he had spare ribs, but he was a Jew. They probably didn't eat pork. So just some good old chicken. We just grilled up a donkey, man. It was awesome. And I hooked life up with, with death. And I brought him into my living room. And life met death in my living room. Now, as I read this, look how simple. Simple. It wasn't like Matthew said, hey, Jesus, uh, uh, I need your permission. Because I don't want to do anything without permission. I want to be a man under authority. So I'm thinking about opening my home and inviting some real scum over to eat some chicken. But I need you to just tell me that's okay to have friends come to my own house. If you tell me it's okay I can open my home, I'm going to ask those bros to come. Oh, by the way, hey, look, they're tax collectors. They make a buttload of money. So I'd probably like to take up an offering. So I'd like to also know I need to get my 501c3. I need, before I open my home, I need to have my tax deductible number so they could give and get a tax write-off because they're tax people. So before I open it up, I just need, hey, look, listen, okay, thanks. I'll, I'll get the 501c3, but also, just need to know. Also, look, I just need to kind of run this by you. Is there a book that you could approve I could use in my home? Because I don't dare want to be out under your authority and take a book that you don't want me to talk about I just want to open my home, but I want you to give me the book that I can open my home and get your approval. Oh, P.S., listen. Before I get to 501c3 in the book, look, I need to know, could I borrow some of the disciples? Because I need somebody out there to help me park donkeys. I need somebody to be part of the whole park here because I'm living on the street. And listen, I need somebody that can be part of my hospitality team and open the door and greet people and welcome people. I need somebody to do child care because, you know, she's going to bring that baby and it cries all the time. Because that's what we do today. We make it so hard. You got to get approved to open your house. You got to have a 501c3. You got to get the preacher's permission on what book you can read. You got to have everybody sign off on you because we're so afraid you're going to say something that's going to disrupt the entire kingdom of God and give the devil his glory that I got to pre approve everything. Not him. 
hey, bro, I got a house. I just want to have some chicken and some friends over and introduce life to them. And I present to you, we've so programmed God with parking lots and hospitality and mugs and bumper stickers and bracelets and t-shirts and programs and small groups and approved small groups versus non-approved small groups versus life groups versus prayer meetings versus you better be here versus a prayer night versus a worship night. Nobody even has time to open their home anymore. And say, dude, I just wanted to bring some friends over and meet them to Jesus. Well, now, if you're going to do that, we need to know where you're going to send them to church. Well, I mean, we... And all I would like to propose to you today is my heart and Robin's heart is not to burn you out with getting in groups and spending your life. It's to tell you, go out into the world where you've been gifted Go out to where your hobbies are. Go out to where your sports are and live your life so that those around you that are dead can meet life. And if you do that, we all win. And then you say, well, then what's the point of coming here? It's no different than what's the point of having a gas station because if you're really working, you're going to run your gas out. What's the point of having a mechanic? Because as you're working, things go wrong and you need to get fixed back up. The reason we gather is to put some fuel into you and repair the brokenness of the day so you can go back out to the sports and the football and the baseball and the soccer and the tennis and the sports and the gym and you can go to the ball game and you don't have to call me and apologize that you had to go do all that because I bless you to go do it. I don't feel like I'm losing if you're out there with your kid playing football at one of his sporting events. You don't have to text me and go, dude, sorry, I couldn't make it. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're there to be the light of the world. You're there to be, there's no darkness in this room. We're all light here. Go out there and shine. Look how easy it was. You don't need my permission to invite friends to your house. You want to do a Beth Moore book? Go for it. I mean, I would like to say if you want to do the Quran, at least call me. <laughs> well, I just don't know a lot about the Bible. So, do you know Jesus? Can you make a good chicken? Do you good, do a good banana pudding? Well, I know a little bit about Jesus, but your banana pudding rocks. Just bring them over, serve banana pudding, and while they're eating, just go, hey, man, I'll tell you why I made such good banana pudding. God's anointed me with a pudding. So here's the conclusion. Would you be willing to open yourself up to host Jesus in everyday life? I'm not asking you to stop working 60 hours a week. I'm just asking you in that 60 hours, would you bring Jesus into it? I'm not asking you to give up fishing and hunting and hiking. and I'm just asking when you do that, would you be willing to take Jesus along with you? Would you be willing to bold enough to... Because let me just throw this to you. Let's say you are a young person and you're on the baseball team or whatever. Sport, my daughter's cheer. And you're on that team for four years through high school and not one person has ever heard Jesus or life from you at all, then we would say you work for the boss of the world and not for Jesus. And if you've had a job for 20 years and not one person that you're out here in the disreputable world doing your life knows that you even know Jesus, doesn't even know his life, but yet you're religious, then the world is your boss, not Jesus. So really the telltale sign is it's not you're religious because you quit doing stuff to come to church more. The telltale sign is you brought Jesus into the stuff you were already doing and brought life in the middle of your life. That's what this is all about. That's why He gifted you. That's why He gave certain talents to people. He needed football players and tennis players and cheerleaders and hikers and runners and joggers and, and carpenters and electricians and plumbers. So He gifts you for all of that. Because He needs you working for Him. He needs you to work for Him. 
So, so what do we do? Quit? No, you don't quit. You just start working for him. So here's the thought. Jesus is still in need of workers. You can spend your energy working for the boss, dragging Jesus along just to ease your conscience. Still living two lives, the religious you, where you're signed up for all the teams, doing all the groups, making the preacher happy and looking spiritual while you're out here with your real life. Or you can stop dragging Jesus around trying to ease your conscience and you can just say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to spend my life putting Jesus in everything I do. Every person on my football team is going to at least know I know him before it's over. Every person at my job is at least going to know that there's life and healing in me. If they're sick, I'll pray for them. And when you do that, the kingdom of God explodes. Because that frees people up. We don't have to make New Year's resolutions now. Now we can say, well, hey, I don't, if you're in a group, great. I hope you are. It's a good way to be disciple, But you don't have to sign up for a group. Do you have a bunch of friends you want to invite over and watch Batman together? Then do it. But while you make those friendships, are you willing to bring Jesus into the whole conversation? You get to choose. You can waste, that's a hard word, I'm going to use it anyway. You can waste your life trying to be religious or you can go bring life into your life. Here's the, here's the communion today. In a moment, we're going to come to these tables. It's a way we check the box. It's a way we say, I hear what you're saying to me, Jesus. Lord, I choose to work for you. I don't know who your boss has been. I don't know where you're burning the candle. All I am, all my energy, my life, and my connections will be used to lead others to you. And I, I wrote this phrase. This is try, what I try to live. In my life, be my life. I, as a shepherd of this house, I enjoy it when you come. I like talking to people. This is my house. This is my Matthew moment. This is my moment to this house God has put me in charge of to say every Sunday I offer a meal or whoever's speaking. We want you to bring disreputable sinners and the people in your 50 feet, bring them. Let's load this house up. But hey, when the meal's over, the goal is to connect friends to life. It's not to just fill up the seats. It's that you become a connection to life. Here's what I would ask of you this week. Are you living the God life, the real life? And in the middle is your house. And you can either keep them totally separate or you can start saying, God has gifted me with talents, time, my children, where I spend my life. I think I'm just going to start merging the two together so that everywhere I'm at, Jesus comes. I wrote this down. I want to leave it up while you take communion. The next slide. This is what I ask you to do. I just ask that you would own your 50 feet. You can go places I can't go. You will talk to people I'll never talk to. You will have conversations I'll never have. You will be in spots around our region that I may never go. But if everybody in the room just decides on my day in my area... I'm going to work for Jesus. I think we'll win. I think we'll win. I think we'll see high schools turn for God, lives turn for God. But what it takes out of you is are you willing? Are you willing to host Jesus all the time? Rather than just on a Sunday morning for an hour or two. Would you host Him all the time? Would you stand up with me if you will? I want to pray for you.